They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. So if we trust him for for what he has for us, what, what he would like us to do, we will find him wholly true. So I mentioned we are in uh, Exodus chapter 21 tonight, which is uh, the Ten Commandments. Again, the Ten Commandments are recorded in two places. I mentioned this, this last week. They're in, they're in Exodus 20 and they're in Deuteronomy 5. Um, they do not have identical language in, in every place. Um, what I mean by that is, is they're, they all have, they're all in Hebrew, but they don't, they're not worded the same in, in every place. There are some minor wordings. Um, and that is because uh, Exodus uh, 20 is, those are the direct words from God spoken out loud uh, to the people of God, and Moses writes them down, and as he's explaining the commandments of God, um, that's what we have in Deuteronomy 5. Again, some of them are absolutely identical, and, and some of them, the commandments are not quite identical, um, but have the same meaning. So here's what we're going to do um, tonight. Uh, we're we're going to have some introductory thoughts real quickly, and then we're going to target the first Three commandments. We're going to try to to cover the first three commandments. So we're going to ask the same question as we did last week, which is, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, uh, if you were here last last week, you knew that that we weren't talking about give me a list of the Ten Commandments. Um, we were talking about okay, what what where did they come from? Um, what's the purpose of them? What kind of a document? Is this just just what is this group of commandments uh, anyway? And, and these are the things that we that we pointed out. That what are the Ten Commandments? Well, they're they're words spoken by God. They're the words of the Lord, or the words of Yahweh. They're words of God's covenant, and they're words summarizing God's law. And we made we made that those points mostly especially the first three just from these two verses so what are the ten commandments they're words spoken by god and god spoke all these words okay pretty simple right Uh, they're the words of yahweh they're the words of the lord i am yahweh your god he says i who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery Uh, and then there are the words of god's Covenant, in other words, the Ten Commandments and, and this supporting um, introduction at the beginning are in the form of a, a covenant that a king would make with his people, where you have introduction of who the king is, historical reason for making that covenant. So, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and then and then the provisions of the covenant, along with what happens if I obey and what happens if I don't obey. So all of those things are in are in the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, as it's pointed out. I can't remember who, which would, which was the the, the commentator that, that pointed out. This is like Israel's constitution. Uh, that's what it is like. And then the fourth thing was their words summarizing God's law. They're not meant to be a complete picture of everything that God's ever going to say 
along the lines of one, one of these commandments. Instead, they are a summary, but they are foundational for uh, the commandments of God. Okay, so that is what we covered last week. Uh, we'll ask the same question, as I mentioned. What are the Ten Commandments? But this time, this time I really mean, like, what do they say? What do they say, and what are we supposed to learn from them? What are we to take for them from them? So the first commandment, um, and then we'll do the second commandment, and then we'll do the third commandment. That's the plan. Uh, and then, so we'll read all the way through this passage again, like we did last week. We'll do that each week. Uh, and then come back and just address those three commandments. So, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21, we will read straight through that. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So that's the 10th commandment. Now, when the, all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So there the, Moses, or the Lord had spoken directly to the people. They were frightened by that. They didn't want that to happen again. Uh, and so they asked that Moses would speak to them. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where 
God was. So that's the passage. And again, our question is this. What are the Ten Commandments? And so we'll go right into the first commandment. We'll just read into it from verse 1. It's in the first commandments in verse 3. So we'll just go that far. And God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Seems pretty simple, but what does that commandment actually mean? For instance, does it mean that you will have no other gods ahead of me, as in a higher priority than me? You won't have any gods like that? Does it mean that, that you will have God take first place in your life? Well, it, it does mean those. It does include those things, but that's not, not all that it means. Um, and there are other places that address this commandment as well and say very similar things. But if you're going to do your best try at a literal translation of, of what, it would, what it says in the Hebrew text, you would write something like this. There shall not be for you other gods upon my face. Or, smooth out a little bit, there shall not be for you other gods in front of my face. Or if you want to say it like we might say it today, there shall not be for you other gods in my face. So, I had a question just, just today. <laughs> and, and it just kind of caught me off guard. It says, well, well, and it's an obvious question. Well, why does it say, why doesn't it say, you shall have no other gods? Why does it say, before me? Why does it say, in front of my face? Well, you know, answered, well, this isn't all that was said. I mean, obviously, God says other places that we're not supposed to have other gods, that there are no other gods. And one of those is in Deuteronomy 4.39 that says this, Know therefore today and, and take it to heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So there's only one God, right? So why doesn't it just say that you will have no other gods? Well, um, one of the things we need to pay attention to is just what's the purpose of this? What's, what's the historical Context: what, what is going on when the Lord gives the Ten Commandments that would make him say something like that or that he would want to say something like that? So, so keeping the context in mind, and we, if we're going to answer the question, well, why does it say before me? What is that? Why does it matter that? Why would it say that? Well, the... The Lord was with Israel in a special way. His presence was with them in a special way like it is not everywhere. It's very specifically, he says, I am going with you, or my presence is going with you. 
So anything that happens within Israel would be in his face, would be in front of him. So you shall have no other gods. I'm in your midst. Don't put another god in front of me. I'm in your midst. That's probably a better way to think of that. So um, there was a um, John Frame. Uh, I don't. We've mentioned him before. Several of us have. He he wrote this. He wrote a book called. The Doctrine of the Christian Life that we're reading as pastors. We're not this far to the commandments yet, but it is the most understandable um, explanation of something like the Ten Commandments that, that I've ever seen. There may be others, but an and easy, very easy to read as well. But, but he makes the point that this is in the historical setting. This is God to his covenant people telling them the things that are really all laid out in creation, creation ordinance, that this, this really applies to all of creation. It's set in Israel's setting at a particular time, but the things covered in the Ten Commandments are applicable to everybody. They're applicable to everybody everywhere. They're applicable to everybody everywhere at every time. They've always been applicable. So everyone is required. Everyone in the world, everyone for all all time is required to worship the one God and not have any gods before him at all time. And you might say, well, what about the people who have never heard about him? What about the people that sincerely believe something else? Um, I mentioned at the beginning that, that we're in a Bible study, we're studying Romans. Uh, here's, here's what Paul might say to that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In other words, everybody's got this in them. Everybody knows this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. So everybody is aware or should be aware of God. And even though they knew him as God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, so what about us today? Are, are we in danger of having other gods before the Lord's face? As Christians, we live in God's presence too. In fact, God dwells through his spirit, dwells in us. So whatever we do, we are in the presence of God all the time. So anything that we worship would be in front of God's face. So the first commandment, this is from Frame. Here's, here's a summary of the first commandment. The first commandment forbids 
any competition at all with the true God for allegiance. Let me repeat that. The first commandment forbids any competition at all with the true God for allegiance. So we're probably not planning to, to go worship Allah. Allah. Um, we're probably not tempted to go worship one of the Hindu gods. But do we do we allow any competition at all with the true God before his face. Um, 9-11-2001 is too long ago for many of you to remember. Some of you weren't born. Uh, But I remember shortly after 9-11-2001 in this country, people were afraid that 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 the United States citizens would react against Muslims, right? And um, Muslims anywhere. And I remember um, sitting in a, in a room with a bunch of the management people from where I worked, and, and we had, uh, because we worked for the city, we, we, and we're trying to uh, make accommodations for this, we had a group of guys come in from a local mosque. Right? And, and they came in and they, they explained to us that they worship the same God that we worship. So uh, not during the, the time when they talk, but afterwards, I just asked one of them. So, so is Jesus Christ the Son of God? No. He's a prophet. We honor him as a prophet. We're people of the book. You're people of the book. That's what we are. We're we're really worshiping the same God. Well, that's not true. Another common practice, though, um, on university campuses, it started probably with with religion professors, might have started other ways, is for interfaith prayers, where... Christians get together with Muslims and get together with Jewish people as, the, as, as, as worshipers of a one God, right? We're all the monotheistic people. We all believe in the same God. And so we're going to pray together. What do you think of that? Is that... They, those are not the same gods, right? They are not. The, none of them say Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? Except for Christians, of course. They are. They are not the same God. So that's that's common practice on university campuses now. Um, Augustana holds that for students. Right now, they do that. Let's get together as people of faith and let's pray. We'll each pray to, to God, our God. We all worship the same God anyway. Let's do that. Right? What, what's probably, I don't know how long these things have been around, but, but they have an influence on culture. You've seen the bumper stickers or the stickles, stickers and windows that say coexist. Right? Coexist. 
putting all religions on the same level before God's face. To me, those are just like blatant examples of violations of the first commandment. Well, let's go a little farther. As Frame said, the first commandment forbids any competition at all with the true God for allegiance. So are there other things that can compete with the true God, the one true God for our allegiance? Well, Jesus put it this way. You can't serve God and money. And our tendency is to think that this might be a little bit of hyperbole, that, that maybe, that maybe we, we've actually figured it out how to do that in this, in this country. We've kinda, we can kind of balance those things. All you just need is some balance in your life. As long as you don't put it ahead of, of God, you don't put money ahead of God, you can, you can serve it all you want. It's just not ahead of God. Well, that was from Matthew 6.24. By the way, from the very end of Matthew 6.24. The rest of Matthew 6.24 says this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Any competition at all with the true God for allegiance. So, we might not be too far from being tested with, with things like this. So, um, Albert Moeller this week, he, he um, on his podcast, I think it was on Thursday, no, I think it was on Wednesday. So, he, he made reference to a a CEO of a company of a of a new he's a new CEO of an Australian rules football team. Right? He he takes the job on Monday. He's fired on Tuesday. He's fired on Tuesday because he was the chairman of the church that taught the biblical definition of marriage. He gave, a, on a side story to that, he gave a story that I remember very well. I don't remember exactly what had happened. I don't remember if it was when I was um, on the fire department in Sioux Falls or if it was shortly after that, of the Atlanta, Georgia fire chief who was active in his church and wrote a Bible study for kids, for teens, which included the biblical definition of marriage for the Bible study he wrote for his church. They fired him. And they said at the time, this is more than Moeller had, but I remember at the time they said this, you have to keep your personal views personal. You can't bring them to work with you. Well, they asked around. He never had talked to anyone at church. He held those views away from church, or or at at work. He never talked about him at work. Never talked about it. They fired him anyway. He eventually um, won the lawsuit, but he's not the chief of Atlanta, right? You can, you, 
you're, he's something else now, right? So no one can serve two masters. There may become a time when our job and our God are at odds and we have to pick which one we're going to do. And maybe, like the guy in Melbourne, they won't even ask you. They'll just fire you because you're part of that church. That could well happen. So no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It doesn't say this. No one can serve two masters. For he will love the one a lot more than he loves the other one. It doesn't say no one can serve two masters. For he will love one and and kind of like the other. It doesn't say no one can serve two masters. For he will love the one and he could take or leave the other. No, it says no one can serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other. That's what will happen. So we could probably go on and on and on for a while, um, naming off things that compete with um, God for our allegiance. I haven't made a list for myself. It just it just might be too long. But I tell you, I tell you who does know. Google knows. Google knows. You have a favorite sports team? Google knows. You have a favorite hobby? Google knows. You know what you like to look at? Google knows. And they will feed it to you as long as you let them. I noticed that on my browser on my So you open up Google, you're going to go to Google. It had a little thing below it that they've added. Nice of them to add this right below it called Discover. So they're putting things in this Discover section based on what they think you want to see or what they want you to see, right? What they want you to look at, and they capitalize on those things. They are feeding you. They are making sure that you get every opportunity to put things between you and your allegiance to God. You can shut that off, by the way, if you have it on your phone. You can shut off the Discover thing, where they're just feeding you like a news feed, only it's really not a news feed. It's the stuff they think that will capture your attention. Well, Well, what is that? That is a thing that is potentially something that that would compete with the allegiance to the one true God. You know who else knows? Amazon knows. Amazon knows what you like to buy. If you have Amazon Prime, they know what you like to watch, and they'll help you watch it. They'll even put a little thing on on the screen, and, and others do it. Hulu does it. I'm not sure who else. All these places do it. Because you watch this, you might like this. They are into feeding us, feeding our desire, feeding our tendency to want to 
have something that competes with the living God. Anything, any competition at all with the true God for his allegiance, which, which gets really kind of to the heart of the issue. You will love one and you will hate the other, be devoted to one or despise the other. It's about love and hate. I mean, there's no, if, if you boil it down, there's, there's, no, there's no middle ground there. Jesus doesn't give us that option with two masters. You're going to love one or you're going to hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one or you're going to despise the other. And that's probably why this commandment comes up as the greatest commandment. As a summary of the commandments about worshiping God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. With all your inner man, with all your whole being and with everything you have. That's kind of what Daniel, how Daniel Block translated it um, when he was here. So if we love the Lord like that, we won't be tempted to... Um, have anything compete with our allegiance to God. So one last thing from from frame on this, because we don't have all night to spend on the first commandment. Here's what he said. The biggest challenge to modern Christians in the area of the first commandment is that of secular schools. The Shema has thing, what we're supposed to do with that. You shall teach them diligently. You shall teach them over and over and over and over and over again to your children. That's what you should do. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach that to your children over and over and over and over and over and over and over. The secular public schools are fighting against that. Right? They are fighting against that. They do not want that to be taught. At all costs, we can't do that. We have to teach secular understanding of the world. One that doesn't acknowledge the one true God. One that, if it admits a God at all, would be somebody that you just absolutely can't possibly know. Second commandment. Three verses, I'll re- read them all, and then we'll go through it verse by verse, of course, much more quickly than we did the first. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. For you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, and I got something out of order. And showing steadfast love and faithfulness to a thousand generations, or something like that. I will get that in there when it comes up. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or the earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth. So does this mean that all images of everything are always forbidden? Um, if it is, we, we're all violating it. We all have artwork, right? Some artwork somewhere. So how about in worship? Does, that mean, does this mean that all images are forbidden in worship? Well, we have a cross in our sanctuary. Many of us have like pictures of the Last Supper or something like that in our houses. Are, are those things forbidden? Um, Frame would say this. That, that no, he's got a summary for each of these commandments, by the way. What God forbids is not the making of an image for any purpose, but rather the making of an idol, an object of worship. So he bases that partially on... He pay, partially just directly on the words in the commandment and partially makes another long argument. But, but the main thing, and, and the, the one that's from the text, is this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. So what's a carved image? Well, that word for is always used of an idol. It's never used of anything else. There's, there's nothing else... That, can, that is called in Scripture a carved image with that word. It's always an idol. So does that mean, um, obviously, that all things are forbidden? No, it, it does not mean that. An idol is a representation of God or of God's power. And so the broad principle here is that, that God... Um, determines how we worship. We don't worship like the Canaanites worship. We don't worship like other people worship. We worship the way that God tells us to worship. We don't make things to aid us in our worship to God by, from a visual perspective, to think, well, this is like God. This is God. We don't do that. He for, specifically forbids other kinds of worship that the Canaanites and the surrounding peoples do. We aren't supposed to worship the Lord like other religions worship their God. Like Hindus worship their God, for instance. Like Muslims worship their God, for instance. We don't worship like they worship. And we don't invent ways to worship. The things that we do in worship should be supported by Scripture. Like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, preaching and teaching, admonishing one another, those kind of things that you'll find in, in Colossians, for example. We do the things that Scripture supports. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So does this mean... That God will punish children for their parents' sins. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, that's sometimes people think of it that way. But here's a good, here's a good reason that it doesn't mean that. So this is in Deuteronomy 7, which is, um, we actually were studying it this morning in 
in the latter part of this chapter in Sunday school. But here's a reason it doesn't mean that. Know therefore, this is Deuteronomy 7, 9 to 10, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So clearly a reference back to the Ten Commandments. And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. In other words, God will repay him in his lifetime. The end of his life is coming. That's where the sin gets taken care of, right? When he destroys him. So sometimes, as Pastor Randy mentioned, the wicked can go on for a long, 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 long time supposedly extending their life and making it better and making it a blessing. It's not a blessing when the end of that life comes, no matter when it is. It's not a blessing if you hate God. So no, he doesn't repay children. He doesn't punish children for the sins of their their fathers. So, but but what it means then, what what does this mean? Well, it means this. That sons tend to repeat the sins of their fathers. They learn them from their fathers, right? They in, their fathers ingrain things into them. Mothers ingrain things into daughters. Mothers ingrain things into sons, right? Fathers ingrain things into daughters, which causes them, in many cases, to repeat the same sins, visiting the iniquity to the children on the third and fourth generation. But here is the really good news. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So uh, quite a legacy that, that many of us have. Right? For, for those who have parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, showing steadfast love to thousands, probably means thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That steadfast love means God's covenant love that he is faithful to, completely faithful to. So, The third commandment, you shall not take the Lord of your God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So so what what does this commandment mean? Does it mean you won't use the name of the Lord as a curse word? Well, it certainly would include that, but it isn't necessarily what it, it means. That would be included. Does it mean like swearing an oath by the name of the Lord? Well, if you do it falsely, it certainly would. But all kinds of places in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, people are told to swear by the name of the Lord. By my name you will swear. That's the way that God, God tells his people. So that's, that's not all of it either, right? So... Is it about then not 
pronouncing the Lord's name at all? Is it about not saying the name Yahweh at all? Well, the Jewish people don't do that, but they, they do it more as a way to, I'm going to overprotect to make sure that I don't misuse this name. Right? And so they don't. Even, even in your Hebrew Bible where you read along and the Lord's name is there, they have something called that's a permanent um, kareh, which means a permanent reading. Wherever you see the word Yahweh, don't read it. Instead, say Adonai. Say Lord. And that's how we, that extends into how we get the name Lord in our Bibles where it said, where it would say Yahweh. So the translation would be this. You shall not carry or you shall not bear the name of the Lord for emptiness, for worthless things, for vanity, because the Lord will not acquit one who carries his name or bears his name for emptiness. So Christians, we, we are not to do that. We carry God's name. We carry, quite literally, we're Christians. We're carrying Christ's name with us. And so we are not to use his name for emptiness. It's, it's only for good. God's name is holy, and we should always consider that. As Frame put it this way. God's name is holy, and whenever it's used, it's worship. You are worshiping either rightly or wrongly when you use the Lord's name. Name So always to use it in a, in a way that's dishonorable would be a violation of this commandment. So back when I was a kid, um, I haven't heard it in a while except somebody just said it to me the other day. There used to be a saying when you really didn't like somebody who was in your church, you'd say, well, I love them in the Lord. I can't stand them, but I love them in the Lord ask you this, is that, is that taking the Lord's name? Are you carrying the Lord's name in vain when you do that? When you, when you, when you say, I love him in the Lord, but what you really mean is, I really despise the person, but, but I'm not going to say that because I'm a Christian and I can't say that, so I'm going to just say I love him in the Lord. That would be an example of something that would be misusing the name of the Lord. So I gave you some summaries of, of what the, what the um, first commandments, the first three commandments were. Also in this little book, I'm just about ready to wrap up here. This is a little book by a guy named Tom Castor, that, that uh, a friend of Pastor Randy's that wrote, um, for new, new believers. So here's a good rule of thumb. What does the first command teach? The first command teaches us to worship God only. What does the second command teach? The second command teaches us to worship God in the proper way. And we must not worship objects or images. What does the third commandment teach? The third commandment teaches us to give honor to God's name and to his words. 
There's a good summary just in this little little book by by Tom Castor. So let's uh, close in prayer, and then we will have our final hymn. Uh, Father, we thank you for your words to us, that you have told us how we should worship you. You have told us how we should honor you and how we should not dishonor you. And Lord, I pray for strength for us as we speak as your people, as we walk as your people, as we carry your name, as we bear the name of Jesus. Lord, and we thank you that you have called us, that you have, that we are loved by you, and that we are called to be your holy people. Lord, we pray for strength and we pray for your word to go out to all the world. In Jesus' name, amen.